Welcome. You're about to be ushered past the velvet rope and into a world of hyper-effective salesmanship that's understood and used only by the world's most notoriously rich and successful marketers. We're taking a journey deep inside the human brain, past the surface clutter, and into the psychological insights to answer the one crucial question, what makes people buy? I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, along with the most ripped off and respected copywriter alive, John Carlton, and this is Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. It's Kevin Rogers along with John Carlton. How are you feeling today, John? Pretty good, Kevin. How are you? Great, buddy. Great. Glad to be uh, pumping out another fresh episode. And this one's a good one. This is a topic that's come up. Uh, well, it'll always come up with freelancers. Uh, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna talk directly to our freelance copywriting friends, but it applies to anybody, any entrepreneur, really. Exactly. Uh, especially freelancers, uh, service providers. I'm going to talk about freelancer finance 101. Uh, <laughs> John, you've, you've coached me through this and I've seen you coach some other close friends through this. And uh, there's some, you know, really simple principles, some very uh, basic <clears throat> foundational ideas that we need to follow in order to, you know, get into business and stay into business. And um, one, of the, one of the big ones is, you know, how to keep it steady. There's going to be hills and valleys in your business, yeah. no matter how, how long you've been doing this. And I just love your advice about how to, how to ride out the storm. Well, you know, yeah, I, I think maybe if I just do a, a broad overview or not try to drip this out, just just try to lay right right into it. It'll be it'll be a pretty good call. The the advice is very simple, and everybody nods when they hear the advice. Yeah, but then they go off and violate it anyway and screw things up. And uh, Kevin and I were just talking about before we started recording the call that it's almost a rite of passage for entrepreneurs to go through having droughts in income. I guess is is one way mm-hmm. one way to put it. Um, of course, one of the tests as to whether you are going to be a, a good entrepreneur or you maybe aren't fit for being an entrepreneur, and by fit, I mean just you don't have the disposition, is for entrepreneurs like freelance copywriters, one of the things that will happen after you get good at what you're doing is you will be offered a J-O-B somewhere. So some client will say, hey, why don't you just give up that freelance thing and come work for me forever? You know, I'll give you a desk, you come in, blah, blah, blah. And how you feel at that moment, not whether you accept it or not, that's a different issue, but how you feel at that moment is a deep insight into whether you are, you know, totally in the entrepreneur camp and that's who you should be and you should continue. Or maybe you should consider, you know, being an entrepreneur for a while and then not being an entrepreneur for your entire life. Because if if the sound of having a job and an office to go to every day and a uh, steady income and possibly a um, 
uh, pension or something, if that delights you, if that makes you, if that takes a weight off your shoulders, if that makes you feel like, oh my God, thank, you know, thank, thank God this, this offer came to me, then probably you're not going to be a very successful entrepreneur or freelancer for the long haul. The acceptable answer to that is a hearty laugh, you know, preferably spitting up coffee as you're laughing. <laughs> and hell no, I've, I've, I got into this to get away from having J-O-Bs. So, um, you know, not only am I not going to have a job, but I'm, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to laugh for a minute. I'm going to forgive you for asking me that. <laughs> right. And let's get on with it. And, you know, and my fee just went up because you had the audacity to ask me, Paul. I'm, I'm kidding there. But and and of course, one of the main one of the main defining elements of a freelance or a entrepreneur career is the unpredictable nature of income coming in. You can have a good gig going yeah. and then if you if you, if you rely on clients like a freelancer would, clients can dry up, they can go south, they can go bankrupt. You may have no idea that they're not managing their money or they're being embezzled or all the things that can go wrong in a business are completely out of your sight and out of your control with you could have 3 clients, you could have 5 clients. You could have a hundred clients, and they could all go belly up, like during a stock market crash or, or something like that. The more likely scenario is a um, <clears throat> one of the um, things that I advise all freelancers to have is that what we call a, uh, a, a string of pearls. You have you have the client you have now, you have the next client you're going to deal with, and you have a couple of other pearls on the string of clients you're going to pursue, or you are pursuing, or you've got them in the hopper. There are there are, if one client goes away, there's another one in line, and you and you know where you're going. Uh, the optimal way to operate is to have a series of clients to be in the position where you're actually telling clients, I can't work with you this month, mm -hmm. but I can schedule you in in August or whatever, something like that. This, that's what the A-listers do. Of course, what all freelancers do, and I did it, and Halbert did it, and Kennedy did it, and Makepeace, and Kevin's done it, is you you get a little... You get, you, there's there's no other way around it. You just get lazy. You you have a good client usually, and, and you get lulled into a sense of suddenly th there's a predictable nature to this. And you're yeah. thinking, well, this client's doing well. The money's coming in. The and then suddenly it ends, and you're left with no no other pearls on your string. Yeah. You don't know where the next check is going to come from, and you, you're in a tailspin and a panic. It happens to all freelancers. And I think the first message is that Droughts are just inherent in this. Even guys who have, you know, 15 potential clients lined up, they, they can all go south. And I've seen it happen. Um, this is one of the reasons why most freelancers at some point should have something else, some other source of income uh, uh, happening uh, yeah. or something they can tap into. Uh, the best would be like writing books. Um or having some product of your own or something on the Maybe side. Some, some kind of membership um, community. 
Yes. Uh, uh, Kevin, you're doing a, a, a membership community, and that's a great way to keep a uh, your own herd, so to speak, where you can tend it. It can be 50 people or it can be thousands of people. It doesn't much matter. I remind people that I made my first million as a guru with about 300 people on, on my core list. Wow. And those are people that bought my bought my original stuff, my what I called the Insiders uh, Club, which was the, you know, the book and and they had access to me and I had a monthly newsletter and stuff and then to renew the newsletter and it was just you know, add a thousand dollars a year out of these people, three hundred of which were actually paying. That's three hundred grand a year, right? Yeah. So that's um, that was that was really nice, and that allowed me to get away from dealing with clients altogether. Although I still dealt with clients, and I still do occasionally deal with clients. Um, so the the if if you have books on Amazon, that's not going to be a huge income. But what it also does, and this is something Dan Kennedy talked about at AWAI. Um, I, I thought he gave a great talk, yeah. and he talked about getting away from looking for clients and instead spending your time. How did how did he put it, Kevin? It was like uh, uh, developing a lead system or a he, phishing he, system. No, his his analogy was they come into the womb. Mm. And then they, there's a, what do you call it? An incubation period. Right. And so all the content that you create is designed to teach. And so you create as many uh, entryways into the womb as possible. Right. And everybody goes into the same incubator. And then if somebody feels it's necessary to try to get your attention on a deeper level, they're very educated on how you operate. Uh, and the price of doing business with you. It's funny when one of the main complaints that freelance direct response copywriters have is clients coming into their into their world who don't understand direct response, don't understand advertising, and it's like you know. How, and, and a question I commonly get, even from you know uh, 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 veteran copywriters, is how you know how do I get better educated clients? And what they want is someone else to yeah. create this pool of potential clients, pros, prospects and, and clients who are being groomed in the ways of direct response. So when they come to them, they, they understand the value of direct response. They understand the value of paying a copywriter a pretty penny to have them write for them. They understand the nature of advertising and wh- what kind of results to expect mm-hmm. and what are, what's a good um, result and what's a bad result, et cetera, et cetera. And what Kennedy talks about, of course, is doing this yourself so that by the time the the large pool he has, so let's say all the people that buy his books and come in through his lead generation, all of that, there's a thousand people there. From that, a hundred will move on to becoming a little deeper, maybe maybe uh, getting consultations with him or or getting his newsletter, or whatever. Moving on, ten of those will then move to a uh, you know asking for more consultations, possibly getting involved with a mastermind or something like that. And one may become a client. That client will be worth a huge amount of money because that person will be a player who understands the value of direct response, et cetera, et cetera. So he's grooming his own, his own herd as he goes. Yeah. That's a, that's a full-time job pretty much. And it, it can, it can be daunting, especially to a mid-level copywriter or a copywriter who hasn't been in the game for a long time, but mm-hmm. it's not impossible. It's very much worth doing. It's worth sampling uh, or not sampling, but playing around with just experimenting with. Yeah. And Kevin, you spent, a long, a long period of time, just kind of mapping things out, and you launched your own membership mm-hmm. 
program kind of uh, kind of on the run and forming it as you went yeah. and just knew that you at the at its very basis you were going to uh, offer some core value and uh, you you were playing with the price as, as I recall and you didn't need a lot of people to make it work no, I, I, even on its own so it's profitable and it's also a feeding uh, uh, pool for right. Potential clients, people working with you, things like that. So, yeah, I'd say one 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 rule of thumb is very early as a freelancer, uh, what you want to do, and this goes back to another episode where we talked about um, being the adult in the control room. I think we called it. We added that extra element, right. um, and that is uh, what I teach new copywriters is. Um, okay, great. You've read all the books. You, you get these people all the time. They're fantastically uh, educated and they're very talented in how they see markets and see copy solutions and they have very little experience and that's the roadblock, right? And so I say, well, as much as you need to work on delivering um, jobs, also work on developing your authority and your expertise, yeah. So start a, start a blog, start doing breakdowns of control letters, uh, you know, like flex your muscle and you're not always going to be right. John, when I approached you, the very first question I had for you is um, basically the am I a fraud question. <laughs> I, I, I needed your stamp of approval. And, and what I showed you uh, among I showed you a couple of letters I'd written. You generously uh, invited me to share some of my work. And the other thing I showed you was a report I'd done breaking down a winning sales letter I'd written. Mm -hmm. And I think realistically that I know now from being in your position all these years later that you, you quickly kind of skim through stuff and you can tell right away whether somebody's got it or not. Right. And the thing you commented on, interestingly, was the report. Because um, and, and, I remember you said, I actually disagree with one of your tips but overall, it's clear that you've got the goods and you know what you're doing here, which was, you know, like a, a breakthrough for me to hear that from you. But uh, the, the point is that you, it, it was the report that I think caught your attention. And you said, wow, if this guy's writing reports and he's already teaching, it all comes down to teaching, right? Well, that's what Dan's doing in this incubation period. Or I think he even calls it like a gestation period because that creeped you out, I remember. He, he, made, <laughs> he made a remark that you hated the, the term. I did. <laughs> but... Um, uh, teaching is what you're, ultimately what you're doing. Um, so start to start to blog and don't just talk about what you had for lunch. Teach something in every post, and uh, then when you actually create a, a, a real, you know, a womb, an incubation period, people will really feel like you're their person. They're going to resonate with you one way or the other, and uh, if they do resonate with you, like you said, they're going to become a really high dollar client. Yeah, and and a blog is the easiest way to do it. You may get like no readers or just mom and your cousin reading it at first, but but treat it as if it's being read by thousands of people and then work towards a secondary thing which may take you out of your comfort zone a little bit, but find out how to how to direct traffic there. Do deals with other people with blogs, do things. There's a whole, there's a lot of in fact just Google how do I get people to read my blog? I'm sure there's a thousand free reports out of it. So don't let those small obstacles um, uh, uh, stop you from from just thinking about bringing this on. Okay, now getting back to the finance part of this. So the first part is don't freak out about droughts. Mm -hmm. They they often come, and the reason that top writers 
or a a percentage of top writers don't freak out when droughts happen is because they have prepared for this day. Uh, I say a percentage of them because the other uh, uh, group of even experienced writers will freak out when these droughts happen because they haven't prepared. Mm -hmm. And they haven't prepared because they've ignored the very, very simple advice that the other ones said. This is like the three little piggies, you know, and the wolf, you know, the, the one didn't, you know, build a house out of, I forget, hay, and the other one built it out of, you know, I, I forget, paper. And, it, you know, it yeah. just, and the other one made it a brick. You know, it's like prepare. And then when it happens, you know, you'll, you'll be in a, a, a better uh, uh, place. So the thing to do is there are two piles of money that you should be feeding while from the very first paycheck you get and if you start off with a war chest if you start your career for example with a uh with a pile of money say you've got one last paycheck and then you quit your job and you become a freelancer or you've got a little money you put aside and that's going to be your war chest or even starting then i'm not going to tell you what the percentages are you should you should set aside but you should have set aside a little bit more than you're comfortable with into two piles. And one pile is what we what we call classically fuck you money. <laughs> and that is that is basically a pile of cash any that c- will cover anywhere from 3 months to 3 years of your operating expenses of your nut uh, it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. It can be tens of thousands of dollars. But it's an amount of money where you feel that you could actually tell a client, tell all of your clients at some point, screw you, I'm not dealing with you. And if you had to, you could live on that money for a period of time while you got your act back together, would whatever happened. The reason this fuck you money is so important is it it helps you uh, have the attitude of the adult in the room you will you know you don't need to take the unethical job you don't need to take crap from a bad client you yeah. don't need to be put in a compromised position if you're not absolutely relying on that next check from that client or that that project mm-hmm. to be able to pay your rent. So if you know that push comes to shove, you could walk away and you'd be able to make the rent and the car payment and have food and stuff, that changes your whole attitude. And that's where the FU money comes from. It just it changes the way you operate in the world. Now, you win when at the end of your career, whether it's 10 years or 50 years as a freelance writer, at the end of that time, your FU money is still stashed away and you've never touched it. So, and, and, and the reason that is so important is because this is not money to invest. This is not money to play with. This is not money to bring out on a whim. This is cash probably socked away in a uh, safe deposit box or a even a can buried out in a field somewhere. I don't care what you do with it, but you make it difficult to get to and you do not treat it as money. It is it, it is cash, but it is not cash for you to use. It is your backup. It is 
It is forcing an element into your behavioral system, <clears throat> day-to-day operations, minute-to-minute thinking, the way you way you deal with clients, the way you accept jobs, the way you deal with your career. You know that this is watching your back. You have that money. I would suggest a minimum of three months, and it should be cash. And again, you win when you never touch that money. The wrong thing to do is to think of it as something you should put in the stock market or mm-hmm. you know, invest in a business or something. No, this is not cash. This is money that is helping your attitude. It's a difficult thing to understand, but every single writer that I've convinced to do this has come back to me at some point a year later, three years later, five years later, and said, that money saved my life because I didn't get involved in a bad project or I was able to fire a client. It felt so good. And another client came along because you just, you're just you just operating in the right way in the universe. Now, yep. so that is the one one pile of money. The second stash, just, just let yep. me talk about this, mm-hmm. is what I call survival money. And this is a also from anywhere from a month to a year's worth of cash and it can just be liquid you can have it in a, sa- a savings account or you can have it in a cd that you can cash out at at, at, at any time or what, whatever you're more comfortable with but this is money that you keep liquid and nearby and and this is where when things start getting a little tight uh, when your month-to-month expenses aren't being met by your income or whatever, but but you're not in a panic mode. This is money you can tap, and this is money you should tap when you need to to be able to get over the occasional hump that happens. Say you have a client that decides he's going to take three months off in the summer and go to Europe, and you were counting on working with him, and he's not going to be there. You might be able to, to use this survival money to help and take a few smaller clients you might normally not take. It, it fills in the gap. It's just support money. Mm-hmm. And that money you should replenish as soon as you get back into the uh, black and and keep that money going. But that is that is like a first-level alarm bell it's like it's like the um, home fire extinguisher mm. for putting out the grease fire on the stove rather than relying on calling the fire department 911 you know whenever anything happens yeah if that if that makes sense that's great the these great two yeah these two piles of money you know smart people don't turn their nose up at the at the idea. You're not saving money. This you don't care about whatever interest payment you're getting on your survival money. You don't care that you've got a hundred grand sitting in a safe deposit box somewhere, just sitting there, and it's driving you nuts. You have to get it out of your head. It's not there for you to play with. It's there to back you up, literally back you up. And the the funny thing is, is that once you have that backup, it's kind of like going into a bad bar with a really bad, badass, you know, guy watching your back and you go in there and you may act a little differently. You won't act scared because you know you somebody's watching your back. And you may avoid getting into fights when you know this stuff. That's also the first thing that happens when you start taking martial arts is you realize, you know, you realize you're in a situation. You go, wow, I could actually absolutely tear this guy's head off right now. And it calms you down. And that's why they stress. The idea is not to get so good at self-defense that you're out there defending yourself all the time. It's so that you stop getting yourself in positions where you're panicking or where you don't know what to do. And once you know what to do, 
one of the choices is always turn around and walk away and forget about it. There's no there's no loss of pride. There's no shame in, in not getting involved in a fight that you know you could win or, you know, it, it changes your whole attitude. And that's what these two piles of money are, are why they're so important. I will say one last thing and then, then I'll, I'll let you chime in, Kevin, that almost all of the top guru guys I know have at one time or another in their careers it totally ignored this advice. Gary Halbert classically used to mock me for having my FU money set set aside. He was just astonished. He 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 couldn't he he he, he often lived from month to month mm-hmm. uh, or paycheck to paycheck or or not paycheck but rather uh, gig client gig. Yeah. yeah gig to gig. Now those were huge amounts of money that he was getting, but he'd still he, he wouldn't adjust his spending at all, not not to a dime. Mm-hmm. He would spend whatever he had, and he did it, and that that was his style. That's the way he did it, and he always operated, you know, close to, you know, you know, not making the rent or doing stuff. <clears throat> he made it work, um, but he, you know, he, he he, I know because I spent so much time with him. He had high anxiety about it, and a lot of things that I didn't have that anxiety. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that sense that you know it, it wasn't like oh well we lost that gig, and la di da. But it was oh well we lost that gig. Let's go look for another gig, and very calmly and professionally try to get to the next step to correct the loss of income that, that has just happened rather than panicking, thinking, oh, my God, yeah. I, I got to sell the car because I got to make the rent. So yeah. it's a totally different way of looking at things. Do not beat yourself up if you've gotten into this position. Um, uh, droughts happen. Uh, all kinds of things out of your control uh, can can um, uh, put you in, in bad positions. But it is your fault if you're if you lose a client or two or three and you're broke, um, especially if, if you've had a large amount of money go through your hands in the past year or the past three years or whatever, and you haven't been taken to the side. And the what writers say, and I, this is just a warning, it, writers say, I know I should have, but I just didn't. Yeah. You know, I don't know what else to do other than try to scare the bejesus out of somebody as to the nature of real adult life out there. Bad things happen to good people and not being prepared. Um, I was a Boy Scout and I, I actually hated Boy Scouts. I I, I kind of hate camping, though I did a lot of it. But the one thing I learned from it was to be prepared. And it was just a, a sense of when I go into a movie theater, I look where the exits are. Yeah. You know, and I don't need to sit next to an exit, but I want to know where they are. I want to be just half a beat ahead of everyone else when, you know, you know, if 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 I go on a boat, I you know, I want to make sure I know where the life preservers are, but I I don't make a big deal about it. It's just you've always got one eye on 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 being slightly prepared. Mm-hmm. Maybe not, you know, if, if I and of course I had a, a a youth full of walking into bad bars and playing music in bad bars. So I would always, you know, I would make friends with the bartender and I try to get inside information, who's trouble, who isn't trouble. And, um, you know, I, I, I knew where the back door was. I had to use the back door a couple of times to, to, to get out of biker bars. And, um, you know, it just wasn't that big of a deal. It was second nature to me. So this whole idea of setting aside cash to support your attitude in life as you go. So you're never 
going to be that guy who is totally down to his last dime and desperate and has to compromise his uh, values, uh, his professionalism, and take jobs they don't want to take, do things they don't want to do, and uh, generally get out of the groove of living a very, very good life. Okay, that that was a long rant, but I think I kind of summed That's up great. what we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, I'm going to drill down into a couple of those points with you. Because um, for one thing, I know a, a lot of people are listening to this going, yeah, that's great for you on the other side of this. You know, you, and you uh, spent an appropriate amount of time emphasizing uh, that a lot of people will ignore this. Sure, sounds great. Um, so one thing I'll add to that is, this is this is what I screwed up for the longest time was just <laughs> just not knowing the numbers, right? Yeah. There's yeah. there's a certain codependency or, or or whatever that comes with being a free uh, doing a freelancer gig well. You have to really want to do well for the client. You have to care right. a lot, and I think there's an underlying codependency that comes with that to where you go, well, I'll just make more money <laughs> if the numbers aren't right. And then you're nuts going up and up and up. And then suddenly you're going, why, why are we stretching it all the time? Why is, why should we be having this conversation at the end of the month? There should be plenty of money. Right. And so, um, for one thing is just have a day, set a day on the calendar where you don't do anything else. If it takes you an hour, great. If it takes you all day, do it, go through your numbers. You've got to know how much it costs you to live and you've got to know how much um, it you can charge a client. And I'll tell you what's another really eye-opening thing. Add up your actual hourly income. Mm-hmm. Not the number that you put on your consultations. It's easy to say and it's easy to charge $500, $1,000, an hour for a consultation, but that isn't your real income. You're not making that 40 hours a week, right? So do the math and say, how many hours am I working and how much am I bringing in at the end of the month? And I bet you'll be pretty flabbergasted by the actual amount of your hourly wage. And so say to yourself, all right, now I got to do some forensics here and go, what am I doing? Where am I wasting time? That's sort of a separate conversation, but it's just, we should, we should probably do a call on that. That's very, that's a very insightful uh, thing. And I, I believe you and I have talked about this before and it is down to when you're charging 15 K for a job, for a gig, mm-hmm. um, which we recommend, I do not ever recommend that writers get into an hourly wage thing. That's a, you know, because what takes you eight hours will take me half an hour and, you know, vice, vice versa. So that's, that's a, an odd game to get into, but you should know how much you're actually, you know, working on jobs. And one of the things the writers, our colleagues have been talking about lately, Kevin, is how to do things faster. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of things out there, which is one is, you know, 90% of David Deutsch is worth 100% of, you know, some rookie writer out there, you know, or even 50% of David Deutsch. So if you got him to scribble down headline ideas and some, and some notes on a, uh, on a wet cocktail napkin, you know, the, during dinner, that might be very, very valuable. And it only took him, you know, he might not, not even remember having done it later. Whereas someone else has spent all of their time, months, working on something, wouldn't come up with anything near as valuable right. because of the nature of advertising, how it, how it works on a hook, how, how the, the pitch has to be so precise, how the offer has to, has to tie in so well. So that's, that's, that's really good. That's breaking it down. That's understanding 
what's going on. But just I, I, before we get away from that, that nut thing, I, I, I just want to say when, when I was starting out, my nut was very, very plain. My car was paid for. It was a it was a piece of shit. <laughs> and uh, God, I'm so I just look back and I just knock on wood that that car ran for the five years I needed it, you know, while I was struggling because I, you know, I don't know how I would have gotten another car. But, um, uh, you know, I tried to stay debt free. And if there was any debt uh, that got put into the nut, but basically it was uh, it was rent of, uh, uh, you know, uh, utility bills, mm-hmm. food and then some optional things like fun. You know, it's like for a while there, I was only having free fun or I would have fun that didn't cost anything. I beer not fun. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Go in and nurse a, uh, a beer at, at happy hour and, <laughs> and uh, have dinner on the uh, from, from the nut tray. Um, I, I never quite got to that point, but I was not above doing that either. So, uh, you know, finding girlfriends that that will cook for you. <laughs> yeah. What's what's the joke about? Um, what do, you, um, what do you what do you call a drummer without a girlfriend? Uh, yeah, homeless. What? Yeah, homeless. <laughs> you know, and it's it's kind of the same with a with with a freelancer. But yeah. as you go through life, as you get married, as you bring other people relationships in, as you become responsible for other things, we can lose sight of how much we're paying. For example, I sat down. I've just sat down today and started looking at. I have no idea what my AT and T bill is. I got DSL. I got three different devices. <laughs> you know, I got uh, I got a landline. I have my uh, my my cell phone and stuff. And I I have a feeling I, I'm paying a lot. <laughs> Plus, we have a um, you know a. Uh, uh, wireless, you know, through the cable. So I, you know, we may be paying several thousand dollars. I wouldn't be surprised every month, mm. you know, just you know, because we lost track of right. what what we were paying. And of course, AT and T counts on that. And yes, I'm talking to you, AT and T. You know, they they count on people losing track of this stuff. You know, and getting bad deals. And oh not, yeah, not doing it. So so finding out what your nut is not that tough, but you need to sit down and do it. So that's really good advice, Kevin. Yeah, know your nut and. Um, uh, the other thing is, um, I'll tell you, you know, so on the, on the, the last note for, you know, you're not, uh, it sounds like a Letterman thing. It's time for know your nuts. <laughs> Paul, do we have music for know your nuts? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, start, that's where you start, right? So you're listening to John and, and you're going, put away a hundred K this guy's out of his gourd. He's talking like, uh, somebody in an ivory tower, a hundred, if I could make a hundred K over the next five years, I'd be happy. Right. Whatever, right now, if you're starting out, your nut is small because it has to be. Mm-hmm. Trust me, this is when you want to start putting that 10% away. I don't know if you mentioned percentages, John, but. I didn't. I left it open, and 10% is a good place to start. Um, I actually, when I was doing it, Kevin, just to, mm-hmm. just to lay it out, that I didn't talk percentages because I usually don't think in percentages. Mm. I actually put a, put aside every other check that I got. Wow. So I lived so there there's there's two elements to this. One, I would get paid an upfront fee and then I would get paid a uh, the other half as they called it upon completion of the job. Mm. I never counted on that second payment. Yeah. So for me, back then I was getting two grand from some agencies downtown to write a piece, which would take me a day or two. So that was actually pretty good. But I often only had like one gig a month or something. So I kept my I kept my nuts so low that I would I would bank the grand. And when I got the second check, I I really actually did kind of a double take. Well, I got more money. And that money went into my FU money. Mm. 
We, okay. We, so that's um, great. That, that's a good system. So however, however it works for you, everybody justifies money. Well, in, in let me say, ways. let me, let me just add one, one more thing yeah. to that. For people that have been begging me to come for free to any of the events that I gave, I had a standard response. Mm. And that was, don't ever ask me for a comp to something you haven't earned. And and the better way to do this and the way people have done it is if you don't have the money to attend that seminar or buy that course or or have a you know buy a consultation or get a membership in Kevin's thing, you know what? Set yourself a goal of making some money to do that. Take an extra job on weekends for three months, yeah. you know, whether it's tending a liquor store or mucking out the uh, barns over at the, uh, <laughs> at, at, at the stables, it doesn't matter. All, every dime that you earn goes into a special account that is aimed at getting into the next GKIC event or buying, you know, a membership in Kevin Singer, or getting an hour with John or whatever it is so that you pay cash and you're in and you're out. You don't borrow from the folks. You don't borrow from a friend. You really don't beg for freebies. Um, the only other way to do it would be to offer your services. And so many people do this. It's it's like stand in line, kid. You know, you may be worthwhile and if you are going to barter services for something, either ent- entrance or something, either bring something to the table or find something you can be specific about. Don't ever go and say, I'll do anything yeah. because that's that never works. I don't need anything done. I often need specific things done. If, yeah. if you can do code, I might need code written, you know, mm-hmm. for the for the website. Uh, if you, you know, can, you know. Uh, if you're willing to help the sound guy, you know, and you have experience with with uh, soundboards for at seminars, that might be interesting. If you're too. willing to uh, make somebody disappear, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I you know, just say, but yeah, you know, that, but that, but that, don't don't be a schmuck. I guess that's the that's the overriding thing. Don't be a schmuck that has to go back to daddy or friends and say, hey, can you, can you loan me a thousand bucks? You know, I'm, you know, my client died and I got really good excuse. You know, the car died, my client died yeah, and my, you know, and, and, you know, I just got, you know, I might die if I don't get this medic. You know, everybody has really good excuses for why they got put in the situation, why they're there. Yeah. Only the schmucks are the ones that get themselves into that situation without some kind of exit, without some kind of safety valve going on. Yeah, that's smart. I like that. It's hustle and be resourceful. That's the other yes. thing, right? I mean, you know, we we, we get so used to uh, the, the client money. That's a trap uh, because... You know, two things happen. One is early on, you're so desperate to have somebody hire you because it's validating. It gets you free from the J-O-B. It does all these things uh, that we embed this sort of anchor that we have to say yes to clients. We can't turn away money. Don't look a gift horse and all these things. And so we over yes ourselves in this, you know, anxiety oblivion. And until and then we find that line where something breaks. Uh, or we burn out. We've done a whole show on burnout. Um, and I just want to add one comment about pricing. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's how to price yourself. Here's, here was my rule, rule of thumb, John. Uh, I would price my services as high as I felt like you know I could justify fairly. Mm-hmm. And I would increase them until clients wouldn't um, 
Well, uh, let me say that backwards. Uh, when my schedule was so booked up at my uh, current price that clients were no longer willing to wait for me, that's when I raised my price. Hmm. So three months out, four months out, I've been as far as six months out on my calendar and, and, and no one's planning a launch usually that far in advance. And so they'd say, ah, that's too bad. Maybe we'll catch you on the next one. And then I'd say, well, I got I to gotta free up some space on my calendar, you know, time to head up to that next level because it's a bit of a smaller client pool. Mm-hmm. But uh, so that's a good rule of thumb. And um, I want to go back to quickly, you said about scaring the bejesus out of people into doing this. Uh, <laughs> quick thing there, because this, you know, it's time for the fear part of, this, of, of, this, of the pitch here. Um, you know, there is such a thing. There's burnout. There's all these things. But there's also um, the, what I call the bad client um, downward spiral. Uh, you know, if you get into a desperate situation where you feel like you can't say no, uh, and you know, you see the red flags that a client is maybe not the best choice, but you could sort of cross your fingers and hope for the best and the job goes bad, man, a bad, a job can go bad a lot of ways mm-hmm. and it may be your fault. It may not be your fault. Um, but, uh, if you learn to not take those jobs and you have the FU money set aside where you don't need those jobs, you can avoid getting into the worst of all situations. Uh, you know, I've heard stories of people being, you know, threatened to get sued, actually getting sued. Um, when when uh, when an entrepreneur is in a downward spiral and they're grabbing at, at anything as they fall backwards off the boat into the, you know, the 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 abyss, the icy brine. Yeah, yeah and they're just somebody's coming with me. I won't die alone. <laughs> Uh, the writer's usually the first to to get blamed, and yep. these people will flip out and threaten all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's really time consuming and stressful to deal with not only a relationship gone bad, but potential uh, bad press and things that you have to clarify and reputation control. And so, don't think that it's just that. Oh, I won't sleep. Uh, for a few weeks while I get through this job. Um, if you're taking gigs that you know aren't the best for you, the stakes could be way higher than just the time you have to put into fulfilling the job. That's true. And um, you made me think of another point while you were talking there, which has left my brain again. Hang on. It was clients. Yeah, uh, spiral. I, uh, yeah, I think it's. I think it's gone. You know, the, thoughts come into my head and leave so 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 quickly. But you know the 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 whole notion of managing your career. I guess that's that's kind of the door I was going through was <clears throat> trying to think about managing your career. There's not a lot you can do when you rely on clients. You start to gain control as you create your own products, as you create your own. Um, uh, empire, whether whether it's a membership site, it's a thriving consultancy, it's it's books, you know, what, what whatever you're doing, each one of those little steps you take may not bring in enough money to make it work, but it it gets you one step closer, to, one you know, one level closer to being completely independent of clients, so that you're actually taking clients when you want them. Yeah, um, clients are. 
you know, there's, you know, it's it's very much like like a quick marriage, you know, with a client. Um, so many things can can go wrong. There's so many elements involved there, and most writers are just happy to get the job, and they think about it as the gig, and they do the best job they can. Oh, in fact, I just remembered what it was. One of the things that you, one of the warning flags that you're slipping. Mm is when you start spending time with a client that you kind of like and you kind of want to impress them Mm -hmm. and you start talking, all of a sudden you realize you've been talking for two hours and you've given them a lot of good ideas and no money has exchanged hands yet. Mm -hmm. That is a warning flag to any copywriter who's working that you're looking for something from this call that you that is unconscious. You're looking for uh, uh, you're looking for uh, a, some juice in your confidence. Mm-hmm. You're looking for a sense of validation. Um, you're you know you're kind of showing off, but you shouldn't be doing this. You should you should be able to have a a, a brief, substantial conversation with a client, finding out what he what he's got, what his needs are, what's going on, mm-hmm. and you do not start shucking and jiving until. Money has exchanged hands. If you get out of that habit, that just sets things up in a bad way right off the bat with that client and with all clients. When other clients find out, and they will, that you're giving free information to people, they're going to be a little hesitant to be paying you so much for what you're giving them. Uh, clients do not exist in a vacuum. They they do talk um, and your whole attitude out there. So when you have your fu money, when you have your survival money, when you're when you're sitting happy but still motivated mm-hmm. because you you have goals, you have all of these things in line. You you're not in a position trying to find reasons to live or validation from prospective clients anymore. And so I, I would say that's a that's a huge red flag that that I see even veteran writers doing. Yeah. They just get into a groove and they want to talk, and it's like, ah, the, the guy will pay me. I trust that he'll pay me. Yeah, big mistake. Just stop that. That's not you know that's not what a professional does. That's a, that's that's a great. And, you know, I just add a, a, a tactical device to that if I can, John. Yeah. If I'm not interrupting, um, no, something that's really helped me is uh, get yourself a scheduler. There's lots of these cool little tools now. I use the one I'm using now is uh, Schedule Once. Uh, it's about twenty bucks a month, and just anytime somebody wants to get on the phone with you, if they say, "Hey, I want to pick your brain," let's even if there, there's a friendly relationship, um, just say, "Sure." Um, use this um, tool and choose the fifteen minute option, and we'll and we'll and we'll we'll get, we'll get to it right. And when you do that, it not only frames the conversation for you, but for them. And so they know, wow, I just had to use this. Uh, I see that he's got a busy schedule. I picked my time. That'll help them prepare for the call. Uh, and it, they, they've got it in their head that this is a 15-minute call. They need to get in and out of the point. And if there's a reason for a next call, uh, book it. And he, I love that. That that allows you to be as friendly as as you can. You can be. You can make a joke as you're talking. You can you can have all of the accoutrements of a real relationship. But when you're going to get down to business, that goes to a future scheduled time. Yeah. And you should probably do that even if you have time right at the moment. How how you how you position yourself moment by moment with clients. 
a lot of writers aren't good at that because it, it does feel kind of phony in a while. If you've got all afternoon open and you were going to go, you know, lay on the couch in your underwear and watch a, a rerun of the basketball game and somebody calls and you say, now you, you, you need to schedule and you feel like a fraud doing that, just stop. This is how professionals work. Yeah. Um, you know, that free time, first of all, shame on you for going and sitting on the couch and, you know, scratching your belly and drinking beer. If, <laughs> unless that's how you relax and that's your relaxation time. But so, and, and that's the other thing is that if that is your downtime and suddenly you say, well, I've got downtime and I don't value my downtime and I don't really need it. And yeah, let's just schedule it right now and, and let's talk to this guy right now. You know, that's how burnout happens. You know, yeah. there's a, there's a, um, there's a need for everything in your life, including the downtime, including the scheduling, so you know what's coming up. Uh, even if you're a, you know, a anti highly organized guy like me, I mean, my desk looks like a bomb went off here. You know, I got piles and yeah. stuff, and I'm working through the piles. I know where everything is more or less, and I can find anything, and everything's on my desk, so it's in a in an area, but it's still messy, and I'm I'm not really good at mapping things out. But when it comes to the core of the biz. I'm very, very precise, hmm. very, very um, uh, staunch about making sure that money exchanges hands. I've, you know, I, I had situations with large companies, some of the largest mailers in the in in the world, and they had to change their accounting standards just for me. They wanted to send me a check in 30 days, and I said, no, I'm not going to start writing until I have the check in hand, and it's got to clear the bank. And and they laughed. They said, "Yeah, yeah, you do that with entrepreneurs. So we're a big guy, you you know, a big company. You can trust me." I said, "I don't trust you." I said, "You guys, you guys could fall off the, uh, you know, fall off the uh, the edge of the continent, and then I wouldn't get paid. And I've wasted, you know, five hours working on this. I'm not going to do it." And they would get mad, and they they blacklist. I've been blacklisted by these places, but I stuck to my guns. Yeah. And so I was. I'm still. I believe the only guy at Rodale who they had to go, one of the VPs of marketing, I'm, I'm kind of half ashamed about this, but also kind of happy. One of the VPs has to walk across the street to the accounting building, go in there, get a check cut just for me <laughs> for the first half, come back and drop it off with somebody to have it mailed, you know, like overnighted, and they overnight the check to me. And they're mad at me the whole time, getting madder as they're doing this. <laughs> and and my and, and my response to them when they said, well, you know, you just created a lot of trouble and stuff, and we're going to pay you, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, you guys created the problem. I said, shame on the other writers for not demanding the money up front before they go. That's, that's how we work. That's how the freelance world works. And th that fell on deaf ears. And too many writers were willing to be yeah that's where i got the idea of the vendor versus the uh the high-end pro you know the the writer who is a vendor just walks in collects his check and does what needs to be done they say we need an ad selling you know half off sale this friday blah blah and you go and write an ad for half off and and you're a vendor and you get paid 30 days or 45 days down the road and you get paid what they say you're going to pay and blah, blah, blah. Eh, the next step up from that is you start negotiating everything. You get negotiate what, what you get paid, when you get paid. You negotiate what goes into the ad. You may say, you know what? You don't need a half-off sale. You need, you need back-ends and you need all kinds of stuff. And there's a whole different way to do it. And you become a consultant who writes. That was the subject of my talk at AWAI. Yeah. And I believe Great. Kennedy had a had a version of that too, as a, a consultant who writes that. I don't think he said it in that same way, but it was basically the same thing. You move from being just a, a writer who is essentially a vendor, no, no, 
treated no better than the guy who comes in and fixes the Xerox machine. And right. uh, or the or or the FedEx guy who comes and picks up the packages every day. You know, you're polite and you're nice to him, but he gets paid when you decide he's going to get paid. And then the next step up is, nope, I'm getting paid first. Yeah. And you know, if you got a problem with that, then you know, I, I let's find out now. You know, rather than later, I'm you know, I'm the guy that's going to get paid first. I'm going to get paid probably more than you, and you just need to come to terms with that. So yeah. Yeah. All right, we kind of got off of the finance 101 thing, but I, I, I like the idea. I can't remember exactly what I said, but I like the idea of schmuck finance, you know, 101. <laughs> it's just, you know, don't be that, that, that schmuck. Just, just stop pretending. In fact, Kevin, you said, you know, the, the fallback position of too many writers, way too many writers, is that, hey, I've got the keys to the kingdom. I know how to write the stuff that brings in the money, so I am the most valuable part of a job. All I need is another client, and I'll just charge more. I'll take on one extra client next month, and that'll pay for the new car I bought and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, It doesn't always work that way. Top writers, the best you've ever heard or dealt with, have gone through droughts, and it, 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 sometimes it comes along with a divorce or a, a bankruptcy or a suit, a, a, a lawsuit. Um, or health issues, all kinds of things come in. And because they are in the freelance area where if they're not bringing the money in, it ain't coming in, then usually what happens is after the first one or two times this happens, and it can happen multiple times, like I said, it's almost a rite of passage in a lot of entrepreneurs' worlds. Yeah. Then they start thinking, I want to have some income happening whether or not I'm comatose or awake, you know, for, for, for the next month. I want some money coming in, either for the family or whatever. And that's where you start creating, you know, your membership sites, you write your books, you you do other things that start to go on, on autopilot to, to make things work. And you're still a writer and you're still primarily making most of your money by creating stuff, but you're not solely into that. Um, Robert Allen called them multiple streams of income. Yep. And there's a number of different ways to look at that, but as even as a freelance writer, you can do that. And of course, having that pile of cash hidden away that you never touch because it's changed your attitude so much that you're dealing with the world, with clients, with people, other writers, you're approaching gigs in a different, more confident um, you're not operating from fear ever. You're operating instead from uh, a position of power, confidence, and uh, uh, using the maximum of your, of your skill rather than trying to juggle fear and motivation and all those things at the same time. I think that kind of wraps it up, don't you? That's great. Yep, that's it. So, you know, little wrap-up checklist. Uh, know your money. Get your numbers. Spend a day. Put yeah. it on the calendar. Know your nut. Paul, Paul, do we have music for Know Your Nut? What? Two, three, four. Yeah, schmuck finance. Love it. Um, don't, don't put yourself in a position to scramble. Get your FU money together. Figure out your best way. John, uh, put away every other check. I like to do 10% into the pile. Just comes off the top. You pay yourself first. Mm -hmm. uh, and create... You know, hire yourself as a client, create a job for yourself, some way of, of creating passive income, whether that's through some little affiliate offers or, uh, you know, something that a little membership group or whatever is going to make sense for you. Basically, um, you, you, when you said affiliate, you reminded me, just get a list. 
build a list. Yeah, yeah. Build build a list is probably an even more basic way to talk about. It. Then whether you sell them books, membership sites, affiliate promos, whatever, uh, newsletters each month, whatever you do, and you can do something next year, you can do something the year after that you're not doing now. Have this that core group of people start to build it, start to feed and nurture them. And they can be other writers, they can be friends, they can be small businessmen, they don't need to be a hugely targeted audience. Start to build that list, that core list of people that open your emails, that care about what you have to say because you are delivering value to them. So... Yeah, b- building that. Like I said, you know, my list was 300 people that I got from like, um, sem- you know, I went to a few seminars mm-hmm. and I sold some product and those people went onto my list and That's the amazing. half or so that stayed with me for a decade, you know, would come to my little, you know, copywriting workshops where I only had 40 people in there, 5K each, you know. And, and you said and, that, that added up to 300K a year, so. No, 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 that was just the uh, renewal for the, the the insiders package was you would get a monthly newsletter from me which was the rant yeah um which became the blog later um but you, you were paying for the newsletter it was mailed to you you had access to me and i would um you got like a kick-ass copyright secrets and then you had a, a special deals on like the freelance manual and things like that and when i had events you would get first notice of the events and you come to them so the renewal of that insiders to get into the insiders club it was around i'm going to say 4 grand or so to get in to get this big package of stuff and then the next year to renew it was $1000 for the year mm. which was a little under $100 a newsletter basically is the way to look at it but you know i had 300 people staying on that for quite a while so that's great beautiful great stuff john so let's quickly plug why don't we um your book if we could uh, the Entrepreneur's Guide to Getting Your Shit Together. Yeah. Which is your latest book. Uh, and, you know, Nash, uh, widely regarded as one of the best out there. Uh, boldly titled. We've, we've talked about that in the past. But <laughs> which, I, yeah, we should probably talk, talk about that in a future thing because it probably has hampered the way Amazon <laughs> treats it a little bit. Yeah. And they're never going to, like, push it really hard. But it keeps popping into the bestseller range in the categories that I've, I've been in, it's, 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 it's a collection of the rants, uh, rejiggered just a little bit. Um, so it's a, it's a coherent book, but it's not, it's not the one, two, three, four step to becoming an entrepreneur. It's once you're an entrepreneur, how to get your shit together and have it. It's heavy on attitude. It's heavy on philosophy. It's heavy on the stories of what can happen and how to get around it. So we talk about, I, I talk about a lot of things that we, uh, talk about on this uh, podcast. Yeah, I would so, say yeah. yeah. Go to uh, go to Amazon and get uh, the Entrepreneur's Guide to Getting Your Shit Together. Absolutely. Yes, and uh, in in my community that we mentioned a few times today is copychief.com. dot uh, and you can spell that out for them. <laughs> It's it's, e, it's I before E, right? <laughs> it is still, yes. And they, there are some meetings going on about them officially changing that. But yeah, C-O-P-Y-C-H-I-E-F, copychief.com. And uh, that's it. Highly, highly recommend that. Uh, uh, anytime you can get, you know, what, what's funny, just, just to spend one second on this, people turn their nose up at things like my mastermind, or your uh, membership site, or my membership sites, when I had them, Stan Dahl has taken over Marketing Rebel Insiders Club, that one. Mm -hmm. Um, People 
tend to think, well, you know, it's there. It's always going to be there. It's kind of cheap and I don't need to get it. You know, it's not, you know, there's no immediate value for me getting out. It'll be there later. And And you forget people die, they retire, they go away, things close up. You actually closed uh, membership in your site uh, right after the first Captain uh, 100, yeah. uh, 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 mob got in. I, th- I think you you may have opened it up again, but it's it's not a wide open thing. You no. have to be able to, to get in. A lot of my stuff, you have to, uh, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, I'll buy the book. I'm stunned at how many people say, yeah, I've been meaning to buy that book. And I should, well, why didn't you buy the book? When If you have need of this stuff, do not take for granted the fact that you have high-end, veteran, experienced, advice-giving, essentially virtual mentors willing to share all of this stuff. And, you know, my blog is free, you know, john-carlton.com. It's got 10 years of free archives in there, and it's it's like pulling teeth to get people to go in there and look around for themselves and what's going on. This baffles me because uh, when I was early in my career and the other guys I knew who were also early in their career, like David Deutsch, he came up along uh, just a little bit behind me like, like a lot of other writers. We devoured that stuff. When we found out about that stuff, it was like whispered, you know, ear to ear. It's like, hey, I found this site, you know, where you can, you know, find all of Gary Halbert's newsletters and, and blah, blah, blah. And you you devoured that stuff. So I think the web has lulled a lot of people into taking things for granted. And yeah. it's bullshit. Stop it. It's not good. It's not healthy. Uh, and you don't want to be that guy who at some point has to say um, – yeah, yeah, I had a shot at that, but I didn't take it, and I never, I never, you know, I never got to sample it. So, yeah, kind of like with Simple Writing System, uh, that was uh, Stan exactly. opened it, but for a long time it was. Well, I don't know. I've had a nickel for every time somebody said I'm kicking myself for not doing that. <laughs> that is so funny, and of course, you know, it, it's you know, we weren't kidding. I guess you know, in, in a way. It's our, you know, we train people to, you know, kind of think, eh, they're kids. They'll, yeah. they'll do it again. But yeah. we hadn't done it for three years. We did it. And, then, you know, and we may never do it again, you know. And, uh, yeah, I've, I get the same thing. People, when are you going to open again? I said, we, we we're very clear about this. <laughs> well, <laughs> everybody says that. I didn't believe you. Well, John says that it's true. <laughs> yeah. Guess, guess what you just found out. You know, yeah. this is a lesson. So, yeah. Good stuff. All right. Let's, Thanks, John. Uh, Let's go. That that was great. This is fun. I think we'll start doing uh, doing them more regularly. We just had a period of time where we uh, where we um, uh, ha- had a lot of interruptions. You know, it, it might be might be kind of fun to uh, let people in on the uh, AWAI trip, for example. You know, oh, it's yeah. a it, it it was it was such an insider. Um, uh, uh, you know, trip. It was oh, like man. old home week. I mean, we we had lunch with uh, uh, Make Peace. With, I had lunch with Make Peace twice. Once with you. We had dinner with uh, Kennedy, and I think just dissecting how that dinner got pulled off with Kennedy oh, is is worth a podcast because yeah. it required a road dog. It required uh, multiple contacts. It was it was a very interesting thing, and and it's almost like a roadmap for how to do that with any mm. of hard to read. Each, uh, gurus. So I love that. Let's do that. Let's make that the next one because yeah, my dinner with Dan. Stand on it actually. So yeah, it would be fun. Okay, All right, pal. Thanks, John. Talk soon, buddy. Okay. Bye.